Good morning, church. So good to be here today. So good to be here. I was able to to spend this uh, past weekend. I was in Abilene, and I call it sitting at the feet of one of my mentors, um, somebody who was. It's a class, but man, this guy is. He just knows scripture, and it's a little intimidating whenever um, the the person's reading from the Greek New Testament right in front of you, and he's kind of translating on the fly. It humbles me a little bit. Um, but we spent really all weekend in Galatians and in Romans, and so uh, some of what I've really learned this weekend has shaped what I'm talking about this morning. So I was changing a lot of things kind of on the fly last night. Um, but it's amazing how the songs and everything kind of fit together with the Spirit works in, in really amazing ways. And so I hope that today is um, a good wrap-up to our series, because we are in the very end of our REACH conference, and, and I hope this has been helpful for you. At the least, I hope we are living a little bit more intentionally, looking at the people that are in our each and everyday life. My um, hope is that we are living in more intentionally these days, that, that we're, we're filling out our cards. Uh, by the way, d- does everybody have a card? Do y'all need a card? If you do not have an Oikos card, raise your hand. We've got some guys that will pass these out. We have one back here, um, and it's okay if, if you've lost yours. No judgment here. Just raise your hand. We'll give you another one. Uh, these these cards will also be available throughout this year. We're going to have some available outside, but uh, it might be good to go and start today uh, and fill these out. Uh, for those of you who may be just joining us online or whether you're in here, you've not really heard what we're talking about. We're talking about our oikos. Oikos is Greek for household or family. It's that uh, 8 to 15 people in our each and everyday life. Uh, some people we know, some people we may kind of kind of know. You know, we see them maybe at the coffee shop or maybe we work with them. They're maybe in a different department, but they keep kind of passing by us. Uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, we started with purposefuls. Um, we all probably have purposefuls in our group. Um, we all know Christians. You know, there are people in our group who are uh, actively following Jesus with their life. Uh, uh, purposefuls probably are very close to us. Some of us, that may be the majority of our oikos. For many of us, we're close to our Christian friends, and, and uh, this place right here is filled with, with people who are, are friends together because we follow Jesus. Maybe you would never have met were it not for this church. It's beautiful to see the things that you have been able to do whenever you fully invest and engage in a family of Christians. You know, in the New Testament, there is a phrase that's used quite a lot. And the phrase is, as you've heard in our singing, one another. We hear that a lot. The Greek word, for some of you who like to see the Greek word for everything, is alelon. I don't know if I said that right. The word occurs about 100 times in the New Testament. Uh, 59 of those times, it is a, really a direct command of what, uh, how we are to live together, how we are to treat one another, and how we are not to treat one another. This goes for everybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of talk about one another in Scripture. In fact, Paul devotes several of his letters to, to addressing issues of how believers are supposed to to be, to live, to treat, to serve one another. 
And we started with this purposeful group along t- uh, at the very beginning because I wanted us to start with what we know. That's kind of what happens whenever we are reading some sort of, a, a, I don't know, just reading some sort of a text or a novel. It, usually it starts with what we know and it takes us somewhere different. That's what I wanted us to do. We start with what we know. We know purposefuls. We know our oikos, uh, our, our one another's. Um, the, I guess the idea was that if we don't know how to reach out to purposefuls, if we don't know how to one another, the purposefuls and our oikos, then it might be difficult to reach anyone else. And there are lots of people that need to be reached. Prodigals need to be reached. How do you reach prodigals? Well, you, um, you wait for them. <laughs> you look for them. You embrace them, you welcome them back with forgiveness and restoration, not judgment. God's looking for the prodigal. Are we looking for them? Then last week we talked about the potentials in our life, those people who keep showing up. They're easy to miss if we're not looking for them. They blend into our daily routine. Sometimes they are kind of a rotating group of faces. Sometimes we see them for a few days or weeks or months, and then they're gone. So how do we make the most out of those moments? Because them in your life is not an accident. I don't believe that. I don't believe that people are just randomly inserted in our life. I think that they are strategically placed because... We have something that they need. They may respond, they may not. But our job is to reach out to those potentials and see them and let them know that they aren't invisible, that they matter. They matter to us and they matter to God. How many people in your life are probably are invisible? going through their life and would be surprised if someone actually paid attention to them. These people matter to God. And the last group we're going to talk about today are pre-Christians. And you know why I call them that? Because I just believe they aren't Christians yet. Can we live in a situation, in a life, in a mindset where people who aren't believers just aren't believers yet? That gives us more of an intentional mindset. Um, most likely we all have several of these pre-Christians in our oikos. Uh, if we don't have any, maybe it's time you start praying and ask God to send you some because He will. I've had that experience. I prayed for God to send me people. He has done that. And I know He will do that to you too. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk about what it means to reach the pre-Christians. So let's pray, and we will chat for just a few minutes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for bringing us to a place where we have brothers and sisters, where we have a family uh, of people who um, we not maybe we didn't choose, but 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 you chose for us to bring us together in this place. Thank you for giving us the uh, the ability to love and to care for one another. And I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to the word that you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, we'll be in a few texts today, so just have your Bible ready. It's in your app as well. There's some notes in the app. You can follow along with that. Well, in the first few years after the resurrection, the church was growing. Um, the believers were mostly Jewish at this point. Uh, the Jewish people called their faith, this faith, um, this new faith in Jesus, they called it the way. Now, the Hebrew idea of the way is something called halakha. And it, I bring that up because it's, uh, it's found uh, several times in the Old Testament and several times in Scripture. But halakha means more than just the way. It also means um, walk. So um, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That, that phrase um, is, is halakha. It's this idea of walking in the way of righteousness. And so whenever Jesus came and he died and rose again, he was the fulfillment of everything they had been hoping for and praying for. So, so what happened was is that Jesus' way became their way. It was about his lifestyle. So, so Jesus' way of life, his halakha became their way of life. Their halakha. And even though it was a way of love, very generous, it was controversial. But for the people who had experienced real change, people who had an experience, it was real, it was communal, and what they had experienced as a group of those first believers, man, it must have been so exciting. Sometimes surreal, but it was deeply relational. These early believers were committed to God. They were committed to one another. And for those who were following Christ, they now had family. They, they um, had people, had a group they could really belong to. And when we have a family, we will do anything to help our family. So these people... They were really good at taking care of one another. Um, we've heard this text so many times, especially if you're in the Church of Christ. Acts 2 is just that, that's the text we go to. But Acts 2, it says very specifically that they were all together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Which means that they did not necessarily have the money to help them initially. So what they did was they sacrificed things that were important to them, things that had value. They would sell them so they could support their family. And this is somewhat foreign to us. I mean, we sell things, but they're usually garage sales, or now it's on you know Facebook Marketplace. We'll sell things, but it's usually because we want to buy something else. How many times have you seen a need, didn't have the money, and said, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sell the dresser. Or I'm going to sell that thing I've been waiting for so that I can give that money to help this person. I just don't hear that happening a lot. It probably does, I'm sure it does. But uh, <laughs> let me rephrase, it doesn't happen with me. I'll be a confession. We usually say, or I usually say, um, well, I don't really have enough, but maybe next time. 
or the church will do it. Now, if, if, if it was my own family and we needed something and we were, we were you know, didn't have the money, I would, I would not think twice about selling some things so that we could have the money to provide for my family. But this is what the early Christians were doing for people who happened to come into their community, and it was radical. Money was still important way back then, just as, as important as it is today. Money was still a driving factor back then, as it is a driving factor today. And back then, when you didn't have money, there weren't very many social programs that would help you. If you didn't have money back then, you were out. So when people came into their community, they suddenly had this family, and they were cared for, and they had value. And not only that, they actually mattered. And this was enjoyable. It was refreshing. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These people that experienced something real, some in this early group, they had had an encounter with Jesus, personal. Some in this early group, they had had personal encounters with the apostles. But for the most part, those early believers, they, they hadn't had an encounter with, with an apostle or with, 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 with Jesus. You know what they had an encounter with? The church. The church was so radical and doing some amazing things that it, it changed people's lives. There was love, there was accountability, there was encouragement, there was repentance forgiveness, restoration, an intentional desire to keep adding to the family. And when people experience love and inclusion and acceptance, even today, it gives people purpose. It gives them this, this idea of mission that, that I, I have a part to play. And when you experience something like that, you can't help but live it and believe it and love it and discuss it. It's their new way. They didn't have to start an evangelism program. They didn't have to start an outreach ministry. What they had was a community who knew how to one another. And they did it really well. I mean, it doesn't mean that they didn't struggle. Because, I mean, look at the New Testament. You start seeing all these letters. Oh, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. But in a world where people were alone and in a world where people struggled to survive, these thriving communities were so attractive. So Paul writes this letter to the Romans. Um, Y'all are going to be talking about Galatians in our Bible classes next week. Man, that, there's so much in Galatians. But Galatians had a very specific problem Paul was addressing. Uh, we don't really know the specific problem Paul's addressing in Rome, if there's even a problem. But we do know that there was a lot in, in Romans about how to live together. You know, he's telling these people in Rome, just probably five to seven small house churches. Not a whole lot, but it's a fledgling group of believers, kind of scattered throughout Rome. He's telling them how to live together how important it is for them to love one another and to find ways to worship side by side. He had never been to Rome, but he was passionate about you know, going there and about their success and, and, and these believers that were continuing to grow. So he writes to them, Romans chapter 1 is where I am right now, 14 through 17. Uh, this is what he says. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. 
And I look at that and I think, do we feel obligated to anyone in this room? Paul feels obligated to people he doesn't even know, but because they bear the mark of, of Jesus, he's obligated to them. Okay, and so he says, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The good news, the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again, that he was the fulfillment of the promise of God, that through him we have eternal life, that is power. That's power. It brings salvation to everyone who believe. Not to the ones who are getting it right and also believe. To everyone who believes. Not those who are perfect and have to do everything just right. To everyone who believes. And then he says, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness that is by faith. The faith of God from first to last. The righteousness of God. Just as it is written, he says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteousness of God's being revealed. Another word for righteousness is justice. The justice of God's being revealed, which means that God is active. He's still active. He's still working to make things right. And just get your, get your mind uh, in, into that culture for a second. And you just think that a third of the Roman population at that time were slaves. A third were slaves. Now, some were indentured, but a majority were born into it. So these people had no opportunity for advancement. All the relationships at that time were up and down. You know, you tried to connect yourself with someone who had money, who had more to offer, status, honor, glory, and then you could attach yourself to that person so you could maybe gain from them or be blessed by them. Trickle-down social, you know, identity. So these people, they didn't have a lot of opportunities for education or had a lot of opportunities for real relationship. They didn't have a lot of opportunities for advancement. But most of the people, I can't say most, the majority of the people in Paul's house churches were slaves. It was very attractive to slaves. I mean, think about it. You go into a, a house, a nice house, and you're able to worship God alongside people who were very wealthy. People who, in any other situation, might ignore you in the real world. In that house, in that family, and I think it wasn't just confined to the house, but in that family, in that community of faith, they were there to worship, and there were no distinctions among them. The gospel was radical, and it was real. Wealthy people of status would associate with people of low position. They would talk about eternity. They would talk about Jesus. And you know what? They talked to each other as peers. And even the ones who were having a struggle with this, what did Paul tell them? He tells them in Philemon, he says, oh, by the way, uh, accept your slave who's coming back to you as more than a slave. Accept him as a brother. Some of these people in Rome were experiencing amazing social shift. There was transformation that Paul was seeing. There was lives that were being changed and, and people were growing in unbelievable ways who, who in, in that society thought, oh, they'll never amount to anything. They were learning. They were growing. They were becoming wise. Paul continued to see transformation. People exhibiting this new identity in Christ. 
people were doing, you know, in, in Acts 2, people were doing the same thing in Rome. They were helping one another, giving to one another. When work needed to be done, they'd find a way to pay for it. In some cases, and this blew my mind, I didn't know this until this week, in some cases there's documented proof that some of these early Christians sold themselves into slavery so they could finance the work of the ministry. They sold themselves into slavery so they could care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. That's radical. And we have problems getting people to help with our children's ministry. These people sold themselves to gospel the world. Can you see how attractive this mindset would be? Knowing when you went into this, into this family, you were part of the family. You weren't an, um, a, a case of benevolence. You weren't uh, someone who was, oh, I'm glad you're here, but we're sitting over here. You were part of the family. Talk about attractive. And the church in Rome grew. You see it. It grows immensely. And Paul knew that the success of these house churches was, was going to mean the success for the kingdom of God. That if these house churches grew, the church at large would continue to grow and the gospel would continue to spread. It wasn't a program. It was the fact that these people had a love for their oikos. These people were living each day intentionally and they were showing one another. And in doing that, they were showing unbelievers who were looking in just how real their faith truly was. And it's still happening even today. We hear churches, we hear stories about churches across the world growing, but one of the fastest growing churches in the world today has no hierarchy, has no buildings, it's led mostly by women, and it is in the underground world of Iran. Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know Christ in Iran. Two girls, uh, they did not know each other at the time, but they um, had questions about Islam that they couldn't answer. None of their people wanted to answer it. None of their teachers, they kept brushing them off. Uh, and, and finally, she was, one of them was voicing their opinion to this one lady, and she said, let me introduce you to somebody who can help answer those questions. And someone introduced her to the gospel. Because there, if you introduce yourself to the wrong person, there's, there's a, a penalty to pay. So they became Christians, and, and they, they embraced this new idea, and at, they didn't tell anybody. They actually went to a conference in a different country to, be, um, to learn how to, 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 to properly share the gospel in a world like Iran. And there they met together. And they, they found out they lived in the same area. They didn't even know each other. And they decided then and there, we're going to share the gospel with the people in our home country. So both of them went back, and they started to deliver Bibles. And they delivered Bibles at night, under cover of darkness. All they had was a bicycle. So they both rode their bicycles, sometimes miles and miles. And they would put Bibles in the mailboxes of people at night. They did this for about two to three years until they were finally caught. Um, whenever the people caught them, they, they, you know, did horrible things to them. But they also said, we know that you're working for 
a large international organization. Who is it? And in their conversation, they're like, we didn't want to tell them it was just us. Two 19-year-olds. And so they kept them in prison for nine months. They went to the, the, the horrible Avene prison. Horrible things happened in Avene prison. And they were terrified the first few days that they were there until they realized they started seeing people in their group who were just as lost as they were. So their moment of terror turns into a moment of opportunity. They literally had a captive audience. So they started to talk and share. And the people kept saying, uh, the guards kept saying, you better stop. And they're like, what are you going to do to us? We're already in the worst prison in the world. What else can you do? They kept sharing the faith. They kept sharing everything that they knew. And it, and it started a church. There were prostitutes and murderers and political prisoners that would come to them. And granted, they experienced a lot of difficulty and oppression as well. Um, nutrition was horrible there. They had to endure dirt in their food and teeth and hair. One of the ladies had scrounged up enough money from, from somebody outside, and she bought a can of tuna, which all of it has expired. She took one bite, and she was in horrible food poisoning. After a day and a half of, of throwing up everywhere, they went to the doctor. They, they told her, the people, the prisoners, telling them, take her to the doctor. They went to the doctor. They said, what are you in here for? She says, I'm a Christian. He wouldn't treat her. But they persisted. They kept going. They had a church. Eventually, some guards began to come to them and to ask them for prayer. One female guard came to her and said, Hey, I know, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I've had infertility issues for years, and I know if you pray for me, it'll all be good. When they left, they struggled because they didn't want to leave. Imagine that. They did, but they didn't because they had a church. There's something highly attractive about people who genuinely love and care for one another. After nine months, they were released, but what's crazy is that there are still women and men in Iran who are spreading the word secretively as best as they can. When the women do this, it's just fascinating because they were asking several women, what happens if you get caught? And they said, well, we know that at any moment we could be caught. So every day that they leave their house, they know they could, be not, they could not be coming home. One of the first things that they do is they will humiliate you uh, you have to endure rape, you have to endure beatings, you have to endure uh, hours of questioning. And these women are okay with that. You know why? Because they take what Paul said to the Romans very seriously. When he said, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Wow. People are willing to offer their bodies as living sacrifices just so they can share the gospel with people. 
I tell you these stories because I know that all of us know people who are not yet Christians. We all know people who do not yet know the love of God. They may know about God. They may know about Jesus. But there are lots of people in our schools, in our work, in our each and every day that do not know and have never experienced for themselves a realization of the love of God. Are these people on our radar? At the least, are they on our card? And is our intention to show them love? To show people a better way to walk? To live? How often is our intention more on ourselves? to make sure that, that we are safe, that we are secure, that our rights are upheld, that we have what we need. And when we feel like we have enough to spare, that's when we will be able to invest in others. And it's true, y'all, the church and Christianity struggling. Church in America, Christianity in America is struggling. It's, it's blowing up in, in Africa, South America, it's blowing up in some of these third world countries, China. But it's struggling here in America. Churches are closing. Ministers are quitting. People have, who have grown up in the church are walking away. It's because, I think, it's because we have a lot. And wealth gives us this false sense of confidence. False sense of independence. When really Christianity is all about dependence. Dependence on one another. Dependence on God. It's a hard thing for us to get my, my mind wrapped around. But the church is receding because I think that, in a sense, in America, we would rather argue with one another than love our neighbor. It's because in a lot of ways we become so devoted to our own ideas and our own opinions and our own preferences, we are not less devoted to one another. It's because the church has allowed ourselves to become judgmental and exclusive. We hear this in person. We see it online. We see it in comments. We see it in posts. There's a, a decline in our interest in Scripture. We'd rather listen to it in pieces than read it in chunks. Churches sometimes are hard to get into. I don't mean because their doors are locked. I just mean it's hard to get into a church. You know, whenever people are not included, churches, uh, it, it, some churches are really close, but it's hard for new people to make their way in. And some churches in America are struggling because we've been more focused on, on overall big problems in our country than we are on the person right next to us. Sometimes we look for distinctions instead of those things that unite us. Because in a lot of ways, and I'm speaking as myself, hand raised first, sometimes we live differently on Sunday morning than we do throughout the rest of our week. And I'm telling you right now, the next generation is not going to tolerate that. Our next generation live in a world of Instagram, TikTok. They know what illusion is, right? You know what it looks like whenever people show you the best of themselves. The next generation is looking for authenticity. They're looking for what's real. If they don't see it in us, then what's the point? The communities of faith that are growing in the world 
are growing so because they, there is authenticity, there is a genuineness, there is a genuine love for one another, real accountability, not judgment, but, but people who are really devoted to one another. Christianity is not necessarily just an individual pursuit. It is a collective. It is a community. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It is for everyone, and it's meant to be lived out together. That's how it grows. So why is one anotherness so important? It's because people aren't going to know how much they matter to God until they know how much they matter to you. We know the truth that, that our own personal way, our own personal halakha leads to death. No matter what we do, it's going to lead to death. The natural inclination of man is not good. I want to believe that mankind is good and I think that there are great parts of that, but Ultimately, it's about self-centeredness. People who are stuck in that need to know that there is a better way, that there is a better way through repentance. There's forgiveness. There's an immediate uh, family available and a new purpose. And, and they need to know that none of us are perfect, but you know what? We are forgiven. And they need to see kindness because as Paul said in Romans 2, 4, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. It's not about judgment, it's about kindness. People need to know they're valued, that they're important. Pre-Christians need to know that that they have a part to play. They can be part of the family and the history of God. They need to know that their sins are forgiven, that their past doesn't matter. What does matter is God has a future for all of us. And we need to show them that God loves us just the way we are, but He loves us so much that He is not going to let us stay there. A lot of that transformation happens in this community. The way of Christ is going to transform people into the image of of God, into the people that that they really want to be. The way of man is destructive, it's unfulfilling, it's confusing, but the way of God is life, it is hope, it is peace, it is wholeness. This is the gospel. It's got power. It's got power when it's lived out. So are we living this? Because pre-Christians need to know that this is real for us too. And when they see our devotion to one another, whenever they see just how deeply we care for one another when they see that we have an authentic way of life through jesus christ then i believe opportunities to share will begin to present themselves to us are we going to be ready my encouragement to you this week is to look at your oikos for opportunities Look for opportunities to share your faith with people who already believe, with people who have walked away, with people who keep showing up, and with people who we know do not know the love of God. Because really, it's time to get serious about this. It's time to wake up each day and know that God is depending on you to share the power of the gospel. Can we do it? I say yes. Sometimes we just need a little reminder. But your oikos is real. It's going to stay 8 to 15. Some of you may have less. Some of you may have more. And I, we're going to be talking about this throughout the year. But my encouragement to you is let's live with eyes wide open and a heart that's ready to share. And let's just see exactly who God starts to bring into this family.
God bless you. I'm going to end my time with a blessing, and then the praise team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a closing, closing song. But during this time, I just want you to be considering for yourself those people in your group, how God is leading you to reach them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to each and every one of you. May the Lord turn His face to you and give you peace. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.